Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of One Day Closer to Dead. My partner is Jason Bailey. And my partner over there is David Beaudry. And Jason, today is a historic episode. Mm-hmm. Do you know why? No, Dave, I don't. Because I we have no idea what the fuck we're doing. This is good. We're going to call it in the ring, folks. I mean, to be fair, I would say most episodes we really don't know what the fuck we're doing. But today we really don't know what the fuck we're doing. No, I know that doesn't sound encouraging. My dog is trying to hit me with a rope to encourage me to play with her. Not right now. Uh, so, Jason, how, how are things? I notice you are back in the closet today, uh, which is, you know, unfortunate. Apropos. I think you should be your true self at all times. Well, you know, I'm so out all the time. I thought I'd shove myself back in just for a couple days, just to bring the flamboyance down just a fucking bit. But uh, it Impossible, is Impossible, sir. Absolutely. The thing is that we are doing a a beautiful morning broadcast, uh, and every once in a while we do this due to scheduling uh, issues. And uh, here in uh, the wonderful city of Lexington, I pretty much live on... Uh, well, the center of the Lexington universe, it just sounds like I live on a, I don't know, a runway or some tarmac, uh, Fourth and Broadway, whatever you want to call it. But uh, to get the great sound quality, I just shove my entire um, podcasting apparatus inside the closet and I get good sound quality in here. So your dog's trying to chew on you. I'm shoved in with all my shirts. Uh, it's it's going to be a hell of a show. And when we call it in the ring... That's just usually the best shows we have is when we have no idea what the fuck we're going to talk about, Dave. I mean, looking through the Skype camera right now, it looks like you're back in your original like New York apartment. Or, or the hot box in Glendale. I mean, it, you take your pick. It's about the same size. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, so, Jason, uh, before we get into some of the business of the week, of which we actually do have some, go figure, uh, is there any feedback you would like to go go over? Have the dozens had anything they wanted to share with us? <coughs> anything we need to discuss, etc., 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 Mr. Vanilla Godzilla? Yeah, we had some pretty good feedback on the last episode, which is highly listened to right now. Last I checked, we're ranking uh, third in personal journaling, and we are about to break the top 1,000 for the episode known as 9-11 in Saudi Arabia. So, um, And usually we get these metrics uh, a few days from from now, but uh, we're doing an early broad, more of an early recording, so it's pretty amazing. Uh, it's listened to very heavily, and a lot of people are very interested interested in the Saudi connection and in the last couple days obviously on the news we have seen the release of the first classified papers on that which are confirming a lot of what we already talked about and I'm just happy that it's a well listened to show because uh, it was something that's near and dear to my heart very passionate about getting to the bottom of truth and accountability when it comes to that day and the lead up to that terrorist event. A lot of people chimed in on that. Uh, a lot of people also chimed in to some stuff we'll be talking talking about just a little bit later in the show, and I will get to that feedback. Um, Paris, France is our number one listen to uh, city now uh, with the most listenership. So thank you again, Paris. Uh, welcome were, back, Paris. Welcome, welcome back. back. That was great. Number one, and of course, with the the usual suspects are all there: uh, Wichita, Kansas, Kansas City, Missouri, Los Angeles, California, uh, New Orleans uh, showed up in the top five. 
Uh, thank you very much for that. And I'd like to welcome one of our uh, newest members uh, in the international community. Saudi Arabia is listening to us now. So thank you for the Saudis out there. I don't know if it's the civilians or if it's the government or if it's the Saudi family that actually helped orchestrate 9-11. But thank you for joining us. We're glad that you're listening to the greatest niche podcast in the universe. And uh, it's always it's always happy to get new fans out there. So thank you for that. That is that is interesting. Have they ever tracked before, like in our main metrics? Not one time. Only until we started criticizing them and pulling back the wool on the fact that they actually fucking paid for 9-11 did they start listening. So welcome, all you Saudis out there. Well, it's like when we talked about what the fuck Texas, all of a sudden, like our Texas numbers jumped. It's, you know, everyone likes to hear about themselves. Everyone likes positive or negative. Everyone likes to be in the spotlight, don't you? Well, motherfuckers, you're in the spotlight now. I'd also like to welcome Melissa L. Melissa L. is a uh, brand new listener and one of the new dozens and uh, apparently really likes our content. Thank you for joining us, Melissa. So just wanted to throw out some feedback and some good times before we start the goddamn show. Well, how could she not, Jason? How could she not? And where is, do you know where Melissa is located? I really don't. I didn't look that up. I believe somewhere in the Midwest, which we do, we do, well, have fun. Uh, it's, <laughs> Never mind, you're rehired until the end of the show. <laughs> well, just hold on there, Mr. Bailey. Um, the thing is that uh, I believe she's somewhere in the Midwest, and we do okay. extremely fucking well in the Midwest. So the only thing that does better for us uh, in, the, in the international community, well, the entire world is Paris. Paris, you fucking love us, and we love you back. Well, Paris has long been known as the Midwest of Europe. I just made that up. What the but. hell did that? Wow. I love how you can say <laughs> things with such authority and conviction. It comes out as fact. That's just, you. <laughs> goddamn, you missed your calling. You should be a politician. I'm, I'm an actor, Jason. Yes, you act like David Beaudry every you, day. What the f- You keep like leaning way off camera and then like looking like you're fidgeting with shit i'm like is he gonna be back on the mic when he starts talking again like what the fuck is happening Uh, i'm deciding whether or not i want to continue this fucking recording so uh go ahead sir oh well um we talked a little bit last week about the absolute fucking gong show in florida that was this uh trailer boxing event uh i would just like to follow up on a couple of quick things there first um i mean in the world's most predictable bad news like evander holyfield at 58 soon to be 59 years old hadn't fought in like 11 years and couldn't get licensed 10 years ago uh got like knocked down twice and then like you know technical knockout in under two minutes against the 45 year old vitor belfort surprise surprise that whole thing was as sad as expected jason i had sent you a clip of evander in a pre-fight interview he you know sounded like he'd taken a lot of hits to the head over the years. Um, and I, I just think that whole thing should never have been permitted. In the slightly better news, Anderson Silva, predictably, but still absolutely just lamped the fuck out of Tito Ortiz. And, um, you know, I wasn't sad about that one at all. So just, and then apparently Trump was doing comment. Jim Lampley, as we talked about last week, he backed out of the event after the, the bad press got a little too a little too hot for him. And I, <laughs> I don't think that was a bad move on his part. Um, so yeah, apparently I'm, I'm not familiar with who, who they had doing the Bane call. And then I guess you had to pay extra if you wanted to hear, you know, the, the Trumpster fires do their, uh, their expert commentary. I'm, I'm not, I have not heard what the numbers are. Don't give a shit. I hope they made, I hope they 
lost a ton of money on it. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's what happened, Jason. Any thoughts? No, I was, as a matter of fact, later on in the show, I was going to get to some of that. But uh, yeah, oh, okay. it's uh, <clears throat> absolute dumpster fire in in and of itself. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we will we will circle back to that as needed. Uh, in the meantime, the world is a dumpster fire, Jason. I, I don't know if you knew that on this fine morning. I certainly did. Did you Did you know why? Because it truly fucking is. Yes, you can even tell that from inside of your closet with your pants or whatever that is hanging beside behind you. Uh, so, Jason, there's been a lot of we've talked a little bit about it on this show in regards to we've talked about vaccinations. We've talked about the pandemic extensively, cotton candy. You know, we've kind of been a bit of a you know, we've kind of documented the whole thing in real time as it's been happening over the last you know year and a half. But I. I I kind of wanted to circle that back around to the general principle of personal freedom versus personal responsibility. And I don't always know where, you know, I don't always know where those lines necessarily firmly are or if they even firmly are anywhere, depending on what the issue is, obviously. But there seems to be a real pushback right now in regards to, you know, recently Biden announced essentially a national vaccine mandate. Um, And there's people saying it's a violation of personal freedom. And then there's other people saying, well, if people had taken personal responsibility to protect their fellow citizens, initially we wouldn't still be dragging through all of this bullshit. So I wanted to kind of use that as a flashpoint to just talk about the general concept of freedom versus responsibility and, and where those two meet and where one ends and the other begins and because I do think, regardless of what anyone's opinion is of the vaccine mandate, I do think the pandemic and cotton candy has unfortunately really shown an ugly selfishness, which is not surprising in any kind of way, but was certainly maddening at times throughout the course of the pandemic of people screaming personal freedom while at the same time just endangering the lives of people around them. And then sometimes using conspiracy theories and you know whatnot to justify their, their bad behavior. That's kind of where I'm at right now. I just wanted to get your general <clears throat> sense of, you know, freedom versus responsibility. Where does one end and the other begin? Well, it's a very good question and it's a very good concept to investigate i think that um watching all the news footage and talking to all my cohorts and uh my employees and people around me and just just taking the pulse of of the people around me it is interesting and you know we have talked about the vaccine before as a matter of fact the three vaccinated amigos is a hugely listened to fucking show. And I think some of that was obviously because we had Commander Cody with us, but a lot, of, a lot of it was the idea that people really wanted to hear <clears throat> what we thought about the vaccination uh, situation here in the nation. So um, this, is, this is really what I think. I think that when you're talking about it's my freedom not to do this. It's my freedom to do this. God damn it. You're not taking my fucking freedom away. Blah, fuckity blah. I think that there is an, it is accurate to say that in some format, in some form, I think that yes, at the, at the basis of the United States of free enterprise, 
we are somehow given these notions that we have rights and that's kind of funny, but we, we, we do really value our personal freedom, particularly in the United States of free enterprise, where we say, Hey, I don't, I don't need to do this just because the government told me to do this. There's a lot of fuck right. you up in up in Americans. We have a lot of it. I mean, it's just, it's almost baked into the DNA of our country where the government says something and we don't, we just don't go blindly along with it. Like, well, uh, okay. Um, but, but this is, this is really what I have to say about this is the fact of the vaccination, the cotton candy, Delta blues variant, whatever you want to call this right now, that's killing everybody, the pandemic. Um, Government is set into place. Most governments are set into place or should be set in place to take care of the problems that the people themselves cannot take care of. It's when you call upon the government, when there's a big fucking problem, you need your government to step in and say, hey, yo, we got this good, bad or indifferent. We will fix this. And I just can't see a, a more apropos time um, for the government to step in in any uh, authoritarian capacity than when people are dying in droves from a motherfucking goddamn pan goddamn demic. I just have no idea what people out there are are thinking. Not to bring it back around to a vaccination rant, a non-vaccination uh, a rant, but ideally, yes, you have the freedom to do whatever the fuck you want, unless. It's killing other motherfucking people. And I think that the United States government and Biden's mandate is absolutely needed. Now, you don't have to do it. There are a lot of people out there said, I will die first before I get this goddamn shot. Well, guess what, motherfucker? You will. If you don't get the vaccination, you now have 11 times the chance of dying that somebody who actually got the vaccination, you know, the motherfucker standing next to you with the same information you had, uh, you will die. I look back at these two motherfucking radio podcaster motherfuckers in Florida. I forget their goddamn shit stain names, but both of them were like, nope, not me. I'm not getting the vaccine, blah, 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 blah. Both of these idiots died. Both of them fucking died of COVID. And their last words were something to the effect of, I should have got the shot. And they died. They were MAGA, zombie, Republican ass wipes that told all their followers, which has became completely politicized. Not me. I'm not getting the shot. And let's fucking face it, folks, not to bring it completely back around. It's all political. It's all political. It's where somebody self-identifies with a side that they have taken and they simply do not have the balls to look in the mirror and go, hey, I'm fucking wrong. Just because I align myself with this person, this party, this affiliation, this thought process, it doesn't mean I'm right today. That's what life is about. You're supposed to walk around and be fluid and change. My God, the things that I thought I think now, I certainly wouldn't have believed 20 years ago because I had not gone through enough life process to teach me I was wrong. That's the point of fucking life. And I just don't understand how anyone on the conservative Republican red side cannot go, Jesus Christ, we're all fucking dying. Hey, I think we got it wrong here. It's just fucking time for people to realize like, I should get this shot, not just for me, but for all of motherfucking society. It's like saying, 
Listen, I have the right to fucking burn emissions and make sure the planet fucking goes into a goddamn heat wave that we'll never recover from. I have the right to have a gun and shoot it whenever the fuck I want. If a bullet hits a kid, whatever. I have the right. You don't have the fucking right when it starts to hurt other people. When it starts to determine other people's life or death, asshole, get in fucking line. For the last hundred years, we have been required to be vaccinated against things that were not even as dangerous as fucking COVID and some way, way worse. You look at our military, they are required to be vaccinated against third world diseases that have never even hit our fucking shores. Nobody has politicized that. Therefore, you hear nothing about it. But your freedoms stop, in my opinion, when it's harmful or killing other people. On the, on the flip side of this motherfucker, Dave, I have to say, when these people are dying in droves, not to, I mean, not to sound like Jason Bailey, six months ago, I've been like, golly gee, I just wish these, these misguided Republican people would just understand. Yeah, I that's, a, that's exactly what you sounded like six months ago. I don't give a fuck about these people. That when sounds I, like you six th- months there ago. There you go. Let me tell you something. When I hear that one more MAGA zombie died... I'm like, one less motherfucker at the polls next time. I don't give a shit. You fuckers have the exact same goddamn information. And what's even worse, you shit fucking piece of... I I fucking hate them. You have kids. These motherfuckers are breeding. They've got small little MAGA zombies they're raising that they're not going to get. I can guarantee fucking tea. They will not get their kids vaccinated either. Okay, then we're going to start seeing children in fucking body bags all over the place. And all I can say is, you know, if you're on that liberal side, if you're if you're if you kind of self-identify as blue or whatever, uh, I can tell you we're going to have a lot less opposition in the next couple years because all these magatards are absolutely killing themselves by disregarding fucking science. So, you know what, folks? Have your personal freedom. Honestly, don't get vaccinated because your non-vaccination is my next political win, you motherfuckers. Well, I'll say there's a couple couple of different things going on there. The first is I still think regardless of red, blue, red, blue Republican, Democrat, whatever you... I know what you identify as, Jason, but whatever you, the general you identify as, I still think the midterms are looking to be a, a fucking bloodbath on with uh, the Democrats getting their asses handed to them. On and I, you know, we're we're waiting to see what the results. It's you know this week that the uh, California recall is going on. We'll see what happens if if Newsom survives it, or if we suddenly end up with a Republican governor in California. So it's. You know, just commenting on that, but the in regards to the politicization of vaccinations or the pandemic or just kind of this entire thing, I think it's the cognitive dissonance, and that and this goes regardless of political affiliation. The cognitive dissonance of people where they just cannot change their stance based on new information is absurd. Like in the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, you know, I was like, well, they're, you know, they don't obviously know everything about what they're dealing with, but it's, you know, okay, this is what they're saying and they're trying to figure it out or whatever. Since then, I do think Fauci, for example, has had a conflict of interest and in we've talked about gain of function research and the whole thing. And I think he's been duplicitous on that. So I took that information and I changed my opinion of that particular individual. Um, and 
you know, and then kept that opinion moving forward. And it's, it's, it's not some sort of personal failure to be like, oh, I was unaware of this previously. Like, now I know this, we will move on. It's, there is an absolute refusal in the public discourse to have that kind of shift. Like, I used to, as an actor, and I still think he's talented, but as an actor, I used to love uh, Kevin Spacey. Got new information on him. I'm like, oh, asshole, piece of shit. Okay, duly noted. You know, Cosby, I didn't know about any of these allegations, obviously, when I was a kid. Liked him. No longer do, because I got new information that I didn't have previously that caused me to change and evolve my opinion. And it's fine for me to be like, I was incorrect on that at the time, you know? But the issue with freedom versus responsibility, a pandemic changes everything in the sense that it's it's like, you know, public smoking. That used to be fully accepted in, in the law of the land or whatever. And then we kind of figured out, well, wait a minute, like, the people that are smoking are blowing all these carcinogens into the lungs of people who want nothing to do with it. And society, it took a while, but society has in the United States has gradually changed to where that is no longer considered acceptable. Smokers sometimes still have a real big fucking attitude about that. But a lot of times you can't smoke in restaurants or inside public spaces or inside movie theaters or, you know, inside like arenas or anything like that. I don't see this as being all that different. Now, the big thing with a vaccine, I understand, even if I don't agree necessarily, I understand people's hesitancy. I, I first, first of all, let me, let me backtrack. I fully understand people's distrust of the government. Like I, I agree that when like you don't just necessarily take everything at face value. Yes. But at the same time, don't think that you're 20 minutes Googling or you're, you know, hour on YouTube is going to outdo the expertise of people that have actually studied these things for their entire lives. Context matters. I agree with the distrust of government and a general like questioning of authority. Yes, I think that is a vital component to democracy. Absolutely. For and I understand people's hesitancy necessarily, especially if they have, you know, pre-existing, you know, whether it be autoimmune or other medical conditions that that could be, you know, aggravated in regards to the the vaccination um and i've heard some people concerned about long-term uh effects okay that's a valid discussion whether we agree or disagree on it that's a valid discussion however what people seem to be missing is when it comes to the personal responsibility side not ever you don't have to get vaccinated the 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 thing that it states is that if you're not vaccinated or you choose not to okay but you need to get tested regularly while this is still going on i don't see how that is an imposition like you can't have that both ways i think it's fine if someone like i i do think i do agree very much with body autonomy and that i i'm reluctant to fully sign off on like this massive mandate world you know worldwide countrywide statewide whatever and i think it's, it's highly difficult to enforce um but there's another side to that where there's a testing option where if someone chooses not to that's fine they just have to wear masks in public and get the testing done and if you do that no one's complaining that you're vaccinated or not vaccinated but you can't have both in a pandemic 
when people are dying. And then out come the conspiracy theories. Well, people aren't really dying of COVID. They're dying of other conditions, and they're just saying it's COVID. If I have a heart condition or if I have cancer and I get shot, then they say I died of the gunshot wound. It doesn't mean I did not have a heart condition or did not have cancer. It means in that moment that the bullet was what killed me. And it's possible like a pre-existing heart condition may have contributed to my dying of the gunshot wound, but I still died of the gunshot wound. Mm -hmm. And it's ridiculous that that I keep hearing the argument like, well, COVID's not that deadly. They're just, uh, you know, making up numbers and all that kind of stuff. Again, question it. You know, numbers are not always accurate. Look at New York and there's a very legitimate, uh, you know, nursing home uh, cover up. Absolutely. That type of questioning of authority is vital, but it has to lead somewhere. You have to have a point. And if your point is that COVID is not that deadly, well, there's like, what are we at now? Like 600,000 or something? Now, yeah, Yeah. it's possible some of them would have died anyway, or some of them could have been mislabeled. Okay, I'll go with that. Absolutely. You're in a sample size that large. There are always going to be either errors or, you know, even possibly purposeful misclassification for whatever reason. Entirely possible, yes. But to try to make the argument that the majority of these people did not die because of COVID, but they just magically died because of all these other conditions that they had, they would have died anyway. I think that is an absolute ridiculous fallacy that is used to justify ignorance and justify bad behavior. Again, I'm all about body autonomy. I'm all about personal responsibility. I'm all about freedom. I think you can have both. But when you do have both, you have to meet in the middle somewhere. And in regards to the vaccination issue, it's like, again, if you don't want to get vaccinated, don't. Like, that's, I fully understand and respect that. And it's not the path that I chose, but that's fine. But then, you know, for you to continue, whether you're working wherever you're working or do like, then you need to get tested regularly like until the pandemic is over assuming eventually this kind of goes away which hopefully at some point it will um i and the the refusal to do any of that is is where i think people are abusing the concept of freedom in the interest of selfish means um, and that's where I think we're at the point of, of, of screaming fire in a, in a crowded movie theater. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, I think it does. But, you know, Dave, for me, <clears throat> what I really think uh, about a lot of this is I always bring it back. No matter what we're talking about, I always try to personalize it or I try to think in, in, in my life what I can from my experiences, why certain things are fucking happening. Okay. You're great at being selfish, Jason. I totally agree with that. I'm just uh, that's I where I, that's <laughs> where I pull most of my, well, everything from, but, um, what else have we got? <laughs> that's true. That's you only have your own life experiences. What I really think is, is, is this, as I think that once somebody has a fervent like position, they're adamant about something. Okay, about their own life story. There, most of it's about their own ego and self identity. Every single one of us has a fucking ego, uh, and you. We say this in a context of it. It's sort of in a um, negative connotation in today's vocabulary. Like, well, his ego is so big, or he's got an ego, or the. 
Uh, we all have fucking egos. Every single one of us have this self-identity. And we say, this this works for Jason Bailey. This doesn't. This is what Jason Bailey thinks. This is not what he thinks. It's going through your mind 24 motherfucking 7. Okay, all of you have the same ego thing. It, it, it is your inner self talking to yourself about what you fucking believe and how things should be or shouldn't be. Okay. Well, you are the God of your own fucking ego throughout life experiences. You start to manifest what you believe your own self identity to be. All right. And the thing is that I believe in politics and particularly in the last fucking four five, six years, we have seen political, um, egos and ideology become so separated in what they believe, what they don't believe that for somebody to stand up on either side and go, and I'm not just talking about a con in the Capitol. I'm talking about right. your local bar. I'm talking about your local, uh, elementary school. I'm Politic talking about your workplace. Political identity has really become hardlined more so now than I think at any other time in our lifetimes, I believe. That Absolutely. In the, in the United States. I can't speak for other countries. Obviously. But that, that political ideology has l completely turned into self-identity yeah. for some people. And they just simply, and I don't mean this just on the conservative side, as I know many listeners are thinking that's who I'm drawing, all, that's who I'm pointing fingers at. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about liberals. I'm talking about everybody. Is that it became so fucking hard-lined that many conversations we've had on this very show, people have come out and said, you know what? I was wrong about that. And it took them just listening to us, conversing about things, trying to figure it out on our own for them to come forward and go, yeah, I, I completely misread that. And I got, I got that wrong. And I'm thinking about something different now. It is extremely, extremely hard for someone to look in the fucking mirror and, and break into the crust of their own soul, their own thought process and go, I don't even fucking believe that. I just say that because it's part of my life self identity. And it just is. I can tell you, I've talked to many liberal friends who on the outside would, would champion every fucking cause that's ever come down the pike for every minority, every, everything that's ever happened in what we would call the woke society or whatever. When the cameras are off, when the fucking, when it's just me and them, they're like, I, it's gone too far. It's fucking crazy. Now they would not say this to anyone else. They'll say it to me because they know I think completely outside the fucking box. And the same thing with a lot of, and I, yes, I do have friends that are that are conservative that will say that's it's fucking crazy. Like that we, we need to get vaccinated. I don't know why, but with their cohorts, with their gang, with the gang, that is the Republicans with the gang, that is the liberals. No, no fucking way because it's become gang warfare and it's part of their self analysis. And you're just like, when, when does it become so necessary for you to lie to yourself every day, day in and day out with what you believe so you fit in? Or what's even worse, and this is fucking hard, Dave, for people to do, is say, I was wrong. And you, what you hear now publicly is people say, I was wrong when their ass is put against the wall and a gun's put to their head, mostly to stop their career of whatever they're doing, honestly, but never, 
Never someone stands up and go, yo, I missed the fucking boat on that without anybody pretty much canceling them Forcing on something. Forcing them to, yeah. That's right. And I can tell you that the people that have told, that I've had great conversations with that said, without, not even, we're not in a debate, we're not in anything. Them going, yeah, well, I was wrong on that completely and there was one and i think it's courageous for people to admit that a lot it is it's a it's a it's a heroic thing to do to be like um yo i'm not the same motherfucker i was six months ago and how you made the reference to hey uh, this person you know they i like them then i found out this quality that i don't like them and yay that's a great uh example but honestly, I want to throw it back at me. There's been times where I have uh, noticed qualities about myself that I'm like, I hate that about me. That's not a good way to be. I'm not thinking correctly with that. And I need to apologize or I need to be the one that come up and go, hey, I'm the bad guy. I'm not changing my mind about that motherfucker that I found out was a bad guy. I've been the bad guy. Right. And there, yeah. and there's something to be said about that where it just, Dave, it doesn't seem to be in our fucking culture anymore. I don't know. I'm not saying I hearken back to the good old days of the 1980s. I absolutely do. But there there just seems to be something in today's society that we raise people, we send them out in the world to be so rigid. No matter if they're the most liberal motherfuckers on the planet, they have open hearts and open minds. They just simply cannot go, Jesus fucking Christ, we've gone a little too far over here on this one. And maybe we should calm down on that too. Because there's no motherfucking middle ground. I remember growing up, and towards my my late 20s, early 30s, I remember thinking this clear as motherfucking day that there is a lot of economic issues that I was completely conservative on. Fiscally, I was completely conservative. I'm like, oh, I believe in that. Well, that's exactly how we should make some money. Absolutely. On every social issue, I was liberal. Every fucking social issue, okay? So who's my fucking party? Who 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 do I fucking vote for? And the I vanilla, think the vanilla Godzilla party. The vanilla Godzilla party. That's right. But the thing is that I truly, sincerely, in my heart of hearts, feel that most Americans, when they're just by themselves with their own thoughts, those of you that do fucking think and aren't addicted to just you know watching Netflix and getting drunk or whatever the fuck you do, I really do believe that they're like me, where they're like, I do not agree. 100% with liberals. I do not agree 100% with conservatives. And they just pick a fucking uh, gang that they're going to side up with. Tribalism. And that's it. And tribalism of, well, this best fits the quality of the life I have. This best suits, I guess, what I would like my ego to think that I am. Not that I actually, am, let me, but my let ego me actually, is. Sorry, Jason. Let me step in on that real quick because I think you'll have a response to this. I think also part of it is not necessarily about using those beliefs as a sense of self in in of itself. It's more <clears throat> of vilifying an enemy and then defining yourself through this, in many cases, imaginary battle with an enemy. It's about having an other that you can put yourself against and superior to. And people will really sacrifice a lot in order to have an other that they can feel as an enemy so that they can therefore define themselves. Everyone wants to be the hero of their own story, but in order to be, they have to be the hero of something. So who is the villain? It always comes down to like basic storytelling. 
you know, uh, if everyone's the hero of their own story, there has to be a villain that they're overcoming. So they, in many cases, not always, you know, illegitimately, but in many cases, they create one. Dave, and the media plays a big role in that. I'm uh, not, uh, no. you know, I'm not disputing that remotely. Absolutely. Dave, you, this is absolutely right. Um, I can tell you for a fact that, you know, particularly in England, you know, Benedict Arnold is not written as a traitor in their history books at all. It is whatever side you're on and whatever story you want to fucking tell yourself and the masses. Okay. And we have entered into wars. Okay. Where we have absolutely had to invent a fucking villain just to mobilize the country to go to war. Or if there was a real villain, we had to juice and, you know, juice the story up just a little bit, you know, make it nicer, make it a lot more understandable, make it a lot more black and white to enter said war. Okay. Um, I, I, you know I can, what? Sorry, Jason. The, the one example, the one kind of exception to that, which is why it's the thing that everyone always goes back to is World War II. Okay, well here, here, and here's here's why I say that, and then I'll I'll absolutely you know let <laughs> Jason lose his mind over there. Uh, he he actually took his headset off partially, folks, for those that can't see him. But the it was you know Hitler was such an over the top maniacally evil figure. Uh, obviously, you know, those, those <laughs> traits have also been what has rightfully been most, uh, uh, juiced up through history as far as what is talked about concerning him. And again, rightfully so, but that was such a more clear black and white issue in the sense of Hitler was evil. We got attacked. We then had to, and it was it fit that traditional storytelling narrative of good guy, bad guy, so much cleaner than say <clears throat> Vietnam, than say Afghanistan, than say a lot of these other Korea, conflicts that we find Iraq, in Korea. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So anyway, go ahead. Absolutely. Well, just to just to delve into that, to where people's ego needs to be self-stroked off so that they can feel like they're they've got a good position and this is the right way to right way to do things. Just to bring that back, I, I love history, so I don't want to go into the whole fucking thing. But when when FDR was a president, he was getting updates all the time. Like, yo, we have got to enter this motherfucking war over there in Europe because without us, England is going to fall. Hitler's going to take, the Germans are on the fucking march, dude. We have got to get involved or we'll have no fucking European allies at all. Okay. And FDR was very clear. He knew that this is what was going to happen, but he also knew the American people after world war one, after their fucking pandemic, knew that they didn't want a goddamn thing to do with another fucking war, particularly one overseas. They didn't want to do it. Forget it. Not happening. Okay. That's just the truth. So it's been very clearly investigated now that yes, there was our, some of our first radar tracking and many of our first intelligence was that, Hey, we're going to get attacked by Japan. Like, oh, totally. There like was advance very, notice. Like, very, very soon we're going to get attacked because we've cut off their supplies. They don't have... We've cut off all their routes. We basically blockaded all their supply chain so they can't get oil. They can't get supplies because we were basically, you know, slapping them on the wrist for, for joining up with the Nazis. And, and Pearl and, Harbor was identified as a target. Absolutely. This was all very, very commonplace information to FDR and nothing was done. When they were coming to attack, 
The big question is how much advance notice did FDR have to stop it? To fucking stop it. Could it have been stopped? Sure as shit, Pearl Harbor could have been known for like, you motherfuckers under attack. But for some reason, up in that White House, it was thought, we need something so that the American motherfucking people, we won't even have to draft them. They'll sign the goddamn hell up. Hey, all you 9-11 people out there that follow that, does that sound familiar? Not to go all, you know, truther on you, but they needed an attack on America to make everyone stand up and go, what the fuck? And that's exactly what happened. So although you are right, Dave, that there was clearly a Darth Vader up in that motherfucking historical story, they did have to, you know, really get the juice story. Juice the narrative. Juice the narrative a lot more for Americans to want to enter said war. And I believe, and a lot of historians believe too, that Pearl Harbor was sacrificed to to bring us into the war. And And you have to outweigh it. Was it worth it? Was it not? All these deaths? Did he do the right thing? Did he not? Certainly it's a shitty thing to do. But without the United States of America just going to fucking town, there certainly probably would have been a different outcome in Europe. Absolutely. And we look at World War II as that good fucking war that started the the American economy and the greatest generation and blah fucking blah. So that's a big decision. Just as big as Truman deciding whether or not to to drop the bomb, to, to drop both bombs on Japan and to end the war. So these are some big motherfucking bookend decisions made by two presidents that that needed to spin the narrative of this is what needs done to start a war and stop a war, okay? But I'm telling you that you are right that people need a bad fucking guy. When you go to work and you're pissed off, someone's the bad guy. When there's a family in crisis, this motherfucking, this sister, this brother, that dad, that mom, they're the bad guy because they don't fucking understand. So I'm, and, I'm well, really corporations, channeling Corporations don't want the bad guy to be them, so therefore that me that narrative gets adjusted yeah. to where you hate but, immigrants or you hate fellow workers or you hate I don't know, poor people or whatever the fuck. Socialists. <laughs> Socialists. But I'm telling you, the ego this is something hypnotists know very fucking well, okay? They that most humans walk around thinking that their decision making process day to day on what they eat, um, how they wipe their ass, who they're gonna be talking to, everything is based on like logic and common sense and you know reason okay they most most people think about 90 percent of their what they do day to day is they do out of reason okay and that only 10 percent is really affected by emotion all great con artists psychologists and some some would say they're the same thing hypnotists anyone that deals with the human mind yes knows for a goddamn fact. Lawyers know this. Matter of fact, goddamn people who are great at speech and debate, myself, they absolutely know this one thing. Reason dictates about 10% of what you do day to day. 90 fucking percent of what you do comes from emotion. Comes from either fear or lust or anger Love, it comes from the reptilian part of your brain, and then you, 
Your ego starts to transform it into, I'm doing this because it's logical. No, you're doing this out of fucking emotion. We do this podcast because we fucking love it. We love both conversation. We love each other most of the time. And we love the fact that people listen to us. Okay? This is done out of love. We love doing this, okay? There's a lot of shit we do like go to fucking work. We hate our jobs. Most Americans will say they hate their fucking job. They do it out of fear. They are terrified not to be able to pay a bill or not to have medical insurance. They go, their economic cattle lined up going into that fucking employment prison, as I call it, because they're terrified. So we do shit out of emotion. And once again, I think that we've aligned ourselves politically with whoever we have. There's no fucking reason behind it. And Dave, as you say, when the more information comes to the table about cotton candy, the vaccination, what have you, and people dig back in, that's an emotional response. That's a, oh no, you can't take my self-identity away. That's not what I believe. I don't care if my mom died of it. It's freedom. Freedom. You can't take my free freedom fries. You can't take my freedom fries away. Just a little bit of throwback for you guys out there. I'm in a 9-11 kind of mood. But I'm telling you that it's all fucking emotional self-identity of your own manifested ego that keeps people from going, God damn it, everyone in my family's dead. Uh, that radio host I used to listen to, yeah, he's, he's dead. Maybe I should get that vaccination so that my children don't die. Well, that was an interesting conversation. Uh, where can the dozens chime in on anything that we have talked about in this this roundabout two-person roundtable? You can always contact us at our very lovely new email address known as AskDaveAndJason at ProtonMail.com Because, well, God Damn it. Fuck you, Dr. Cosby. Warms the cockles of my heart. So, Jason, childhood is dead. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, I certainly fucking did. I see it every day. I look in the mirror. Do you do you want to explain why? Yeah, I wanted to talk real quick about sort of what you were bringing up at the beginning there, and it leads into something else, too. So, you know... I, I don't know how many fight fan people we have out there listening to us. You certainly know that Dave and I are like the like the sweet science. We like the we like the sport of uh, you know wrestling, boxing, MMA. We like that shit a lot, and uh, it just hurt. I want to say this again because I think we highlighted it more than a lot of people. Some people did contact us about it. A lot of people sent the same. Um, little snippets that that you sent dave and then i saw the fight itself on some i don't know pirated something or another which which one holyfield holyfield yeah okay because that's the one i gave a fuck about uh because i really like evander a lot yeah and i really respect the dude and one of the greatest ever one of the greatest ever if you if you follow boxing and you know his story uh just what a great champion and and what a great i i feel a, a really good human being uh too i i, I believe that and One of my favorite moments in sports was that initial knockout of tyson yes absolutely i just i love his story and i like i said i love boxing particularly boxing uh the 1970s and the 1980s and part of the 90s let's say the early 90s so i mean you you look at the rise of muhammad ali all the way probably till 
I guess the, uh, the fall of Mike Tyson and then the scramble for, for that status. Uh, the the greatest boxers in my opinion existed the greatest boxing matches uh and and a lot of, and different weight classes not just heavyweight so anyway that's a that's a side thing but i love evander holyfield and um we knew that this was a fucking problem right when dave uh, announced it and told me about it and i was like what in god's name is evander doing uh if you saw the little snippet of this pre-fight in, well, I don't know if it's a, you call it a pre-fight interview. It was a pre-fight interview. Was... I don't know what it is, but it was just him rambling, and he had no coherency. He couldn't speak. He didn't know where he was. I think that he had a lot of stuff in his mind, but he didn't know how to get it out. Well, I mean, that's yeah. a clear sign that there is obviously brain trauma that has occurred. And if you can't even form sentences and talk, you know, speak correctly about what you're getting ready to do, um, you, you definitely do not have the reflexes to protect yourself in a fight. You, you just don't have years it. old. At 58, but I mean, most 58-year-old men wouldn't have it. But if you've been repeatedly punched in the head by the greatest boxers of all time and you're 58, uh, that's a whole new level. Yeah. I mean, unless he, unless Evander was going on instinct, I would probably take a 58-year-old who's never boxed and think, well, he might have better reflexes. And I, I cannot make that up. That's not putting Evander down. This is a man I really respect, okay? Well, there's a reason California wouldn't license that fight. That's why they had to move the entire event to Florida. That's right. That's right. But it got me to thinking, and I talked to Joe Baca about it a little bit. It coincided with something else that I was, we were sort of bantering about off air last, last week, uh, Dave. And that was, um, Harrison Ford playing Indiana Jones again for the fifth time, uh, 40 years later or something like that from the original, uh, turn of events at the age of 78, 79. I don't even know. And next, next he'll be boxing Vitor Belfort. And that's what I thought. And I know this is a weird drawing of comparison, but between Evander coming back and doing this thing where it was just a, to me, a sacrificial lamb so he that he could, he could make money. And I guess some a shitty promotion could, could make some, some money off of his health. Um, now Harrison Ford is obviously not. Uh, taking punches to the head. As a matter of fact, uh, I think that he tore his own shoulder by throwing a fake punch on the set. So that, that's where we are with, with Harrison's fighting abilities. But I just find it fascinating that the marquee names of, you know, whether we, it's our sport of wrestling, uh, boxing, or, you know, the movie theaters, and we see it time and time again, where people are reprising their old roles uh, at, a, at an ex accelerated age, accelerated decrepitude, uh, just to throw out some Blade Runner uh, marks out there and, and, and let this you know that it's, uh, it's really weird that here we are in 2021, and it seems like we are still addicted to trying to get people from the 80s uh, back in the limelight, and so are they. And they Nostalgia are is a hell of a drug. And now they are in their fucking eighties. What a what a predicament. But I just I don't know. It's weird for me. And I just wanted to say, I guess the words that that Joe Bach and I kept going back and forth with is sad. When sad, you know when when is it that your fans don't want to see you do what you used to do because we know 
it certainly is not going to capture the old magic uh, due to your age and due to, I guess, the fact that we're older and civilization is changing and society's changing. And like I said with Davis, I didn't really know where I wanted to go with this conversation other than this truly is, a at least for Jason Bailey, a childhood is dead uh, subject. Because watching Evander just that fiasco and and by the way it is sad it almost made me want to cry it really did and you know you got tyson's legend league thing where he went up there and you know they didn't really hurt each I mean, other that was a sparring but match i i know but it's to me the whole thing of getting all these old motherfuckers back in their whatever the respective sport was boxing wrestling or being indiana jones when is it where the audience is just like, I don't want to see you do this anymore. I don't, you're the image of what you were is so goddamn good. I really don't want to see it anymore. I'm not saying these people don't have the freedom to go and do what they want to do. They sure as shit do. This is about my perspective on watching my heroes at an accelerated age. When does it become embarrassing? And, you know, we're not in even in our wrestling topic yet, which sort of parlays in. into this. But honestly, I do have to say something about Ric Flair. Ric Flair, I think uh, everybody knows, is considered the greatest professional wrestler that's ever walked that aisle. Uh, he has very few people that even come close in comparison where, well, but maybe this person, but maybe that person. You'll hear Shawn Michaels. Some people, Triple me, H. Some, yeah, fuck Triple H. Some people like me <laughs> will say, will say Bret Hart, okay? You always say, who is the greatest who did it all? Like the whole fucking package. And Rick is, is definitely it, okay? But I can tell you, honestly, as a Ric Flair fan, over the last... 10, 15 years, I just have shake, just shake my head in embarrassment of not only what he keeps holding on to both inside the ring and outside the ring. Um, his persona, in my opinion, is no longer cool. It's just not. It's this drunk, womanizing, dirty um, old man, dirty old man who once was young and hip and cool and ass kicker and even had his dark Knight returns moments, which I, you know, I'm a mark for all dark Knight returns moments in everybody's fucking life. When he had that in his forties, when he was going against the NWO and WCW, even a little bit, I can say when he, when he went over to WWE, there was a little dark Knight Returns stuff going on there. I'd say, I'd say he was, he actually, and you know, you and I joke about triple H cause we're both not a fan, but I would say he, Rick was great, uh, in evolution in kind of that mentor role where he would wrestle once in a while and matches were still decent, but like as a manager and as a, mm -hmm. as a mouthpiece, I thought he was very well used and did a great job in that capacity. Yeah. Um, and then it was kind of all, I'd say downhill after that. Yeah. And I mean, just his run, uh, well, I guess what I'm trying to say is his run in TNA, uh, was just, I guess, seeing someone I respect and a legend and, and just, in my opinion, piss all over his legacy, piss all over what he had done. And obviously he must not think this, or maybe he just needs money. I, or I think with Rick, it's a lot. He needs the fame or he needs the attention. I don't I think know. It's both. I but think it's a combination of the two. I think that, you know, for your fans though, I'm wondering, and like I said, this is not a Jason definitive 
answer on this subject. It's a question. When does pissing all over your legacy matter to the point you don't want to you might you want to make it awesome for the fans and not just for yourself because i can tell you pulling it back to harrison ford that last indiana jones dumpster fire kingdom crystal shit fest thing was goddamn horrible and i my there's there's films that just resonate with me in characters uh indiana jones and raiders of the lost ark is just right at the fucking top just the tippity-toppity-tippity-top of a young boy looking at an older man going, I want to be that when I grow up. I want to be just like this fucking dude. And he's like a dad figure for, and I've talked about this before, but Harrison Ford's like a dad figure to a lot of kids growing up in the 80s. And just to watch him at the age of 78, 79, clean shaven, put on the fedora, put on the leather jacket, run around the jungle. Uh, you know... No, don't don't need to see it. And the, and the thing is that, you know, we're talking with Joe Baca. He would say the same thing. He was kind of drawing comparisons with, you know, he said watching that A&E biography with Steve Austin. He said, I just kind of felt sad for him that he had lost his his relationship with his daughters and things. And I, I, I countered that with, well, that was Steve Austin's decision. He's the one that decided to make his career focus as a lot of people did. Personal but the, freedom. But the one thing that you do have to respect about him is, he, he knows damn well he can't go out and be Steve Austin the way he used to be Stone Cold Steve Austin. He said it repeatedly. So he found a niche uh, inside the wrestling entertainment community that really fits Steve Austin. Reality shows, podcasting, the occasional ambassador to, to, to the WWE network kind of thing, uh, great merchandise seller, all that. But he knows damn well he can't go out there and have some Dark Knight Returns moment. He said it many, many times. He let that go. He had to get it out of his system. And I do respect that. And I think for a lot of us, there's this fine line between wanting to see our heroes when we're children, just keep on going forever, forever and ever and ever and ever and never stopping what they're doing because out of... We're, we're we're selfish we want to see that forever we want our childhood to keep going but these are not comic book characters evander holyfield's not a comic book character okay these are real men with real health issues and they're really fucking aging and there's got to be a time where you go i'm stopping this i mean there's stories about sean connery telling roger moore at the age of 55 like you really should hang it up, Roger. You look sort of ridiculous doing the stunts here as James Bond. And it's, it's, and Roger Moore agreed. He was like, yeah, it's, this is fucking crazy. So there, there was a time where men, I'm just going to draw it to men, where men just knew like my time in the sun as this character, this person, my ego is no longer this. I think it's why I respected Sean Connery. I love Sean Connery, old Sean Connery, not young Sean Connery. I love the post 55 year old, 57, 60 year old Sean Connery that yes, he still kicked ass. Yes. But age was always a determining factor in his roles. He always put it to the forefront as the lion in winter role. And there is something to be said about that. And also knowing when to hang up certain roles or even certain careers. Now, Dave, I was all over the place with that one, very obviously, but there's something in there that I'm exploring as a child of the 80s, looking at my heroes that are still being dragged into the arena for either gladiatorial combat or, I guess, uh, you know, some sort of, you know, clown 
act. I mean, you know, it's just weird what I'm seeing and I don't like it. Well, I think there's there's also a difference between professional athletes that are trying to chase that former high or in the case of Evander, and I, I don't say this negatively, like your know, dude has a lot of kids and he had a lot of, you know, money issues and stuff. And I don't know what his specifics of his current financial situation, but I would imagine he got paid pretty well for something pretty quickly. And it's unfortunate that it came at what I feel is a significant and unnecessary risk to his health. When I say unnecessary risk to his health, I mean from the responsibility of a promotion standpoint, from the responsibility of a licensing standpoint, I don't think that should have been permitted um, in the best interests of, you know, preserving his health as he gets older. Uh, so from a professional athlete standpoint, I think it's a little bit a little bit different than, say, an actor going back to a role. Um, as far as an actor going back to a role, I think a lot of times it's chasing that lightning in a bottle because there has been the rarest of occasions where we've seen it work. And the biggest influencer on that, I think, has been Stallone. Uh, nobody thought Rocky Balboa as a movie, the, the, the movie Rocky Balboa would be as good as it was. Everyone was kind of laughing like, oh, Jesus, this is going to be sad. Rocky getting back in the ring at his, you know, advanced age or whatever. And Stallone intelligently made that the narrative of the film and actually made a hell of a movie. And it was great to see that character back, especially because a lot of people were very unhappy with how, you know, the series had previously ended with Rocky five. So it was kind of like nowhere to go, but up. And then they reinvented it again with Creed and his role in that less so with the second one but still you know certainly not embarrassing um but that the combination of of the movie rocky balboa and then creed with rocky in that mentor role and then having the health issues and stuff and and the way they really humanized that that was lightning in the bottom and then he did it again with with uh, again i'll give the numerical title for for clarity rambo four um, where he revisited that character after decades and did so in a way that actually really kind of worked from a story standpoint and resonated with audiences. But because of that, I think that really heavily influenced people constantly going back to that well to see if they can capture that same lightning in a bottle. And it's just, you know, it can happen, but it's just, it's the rarest of the rare. Yeah, no, it really is. And it's just... I don't know. It's one of those things that's just interesting to me that we simply, it seems, can't, we as the audience can't move on. Uh, and it obviously the performers cannot move the fuck on either. I mean, I always think about Sean retiring. I always think about Gene Hackman fucking just retiring and just being like, I'm just, you know, I'm done with this. I, I did what I came here to do. And I don't know. There's just something magic to be said about it, uh, you know, to draw it back around. Uh, and you are right about Sylvester Stallone because I thought about that before we actually started recording is it's a very rare fucking thing. And even Stallone sometimes will deviate. We're like, nah, 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 nah. But for the most part, he's handled age well as far as in that badassery. I'm still an alpha male uh, a role, uh, whether it's expendables or, or, or what have you. But age is always a, the determining factor in a lot of his his um, his stories. You know, I got that documentary, The Undertaker's Last Ride, and I, I watched the whole thing. I have it on physical media, as you all should, DVD. And um, it's fascinating because, really, it's a five-hour fucking documentary, I think, if maybe longer, where it's just him dealing with this very fucking issue of, the you know, I am aging. I cannot do anything like I used to do back in the fucking day. 
but the audience still seems to want to see the Undertaker character, and I can't tell Vince no, and I can't tell myself no. And it's him struggling with this motherfucker for years. The documentary covered him for, I think, two or three years. I want to say three years and if, it, ish. Yeah, and it was just him. It's a fascinating documentary of a man who physically just can't bring justice to what he used to do as a career or what he does as a career. And him saying it's okay to finally fucking stop. Because he famously, uh, when he was younger, said, I never want to get to the point where dad brings his son up to me and says, this is the undertaker. He's old now, but you, sh- you know, you should have seen him back in the day, blah, blah, blah. And he said, I never wanted to do that. I always wanted to be, you know, as good as I could possibly be and, and live up to the Undertaker's standard and my personal standard. And he just couldn't. And it's watching him do everything mental and physical to, A, fulfill those last obligations, those last three years, but to not embarrass himself. And even more importantly, he's highly cognitive of the fact that he doesn't want to piss on the legacy or make it shitty for the fans or make it shitty for his opponent that he wants to have a great match with. And it is, uh, it's at the heart of what we're talking about right now. I highly recommend it. Just watching a badass aging silverback gorilla, alpha male, not be able to do what he used to do anymore. And I, and you know, you were talking about, you don't, you know, there's a little bit of a difference between an actor trying to find a role again, or that lightning in a bottle and, you know, Vander Holyfield who has medical issues. Yes. You're right in that capacity. What Taker I, has both. He's the bridge. Oh, absolutely. But what I also mean by that is I mean the legacy that you have cemented in the minds of your fans. Uh, but that's, and both of, they have both of that in common where when's enough enough, when do you want to walk away and go, that's how good that fucking was. I fucking leave it. I can't hit that again. And so I don't know, there's just a lot to unpack there. And I just think I want all the listeners out there, all the dozens who are a lot of them are our fucking age. Just think about this for a second and say, when is enough enough? And how do you want to remember your heroes, your idols at that young child? You know, when your childhood, they're just these amazing elite superheroes in whatever field, maybe music, whatever it is. I mean, how many times have I, I've heard someone gone to a concert of someone they always want to see for 20, 30, 40 years. And they're like, they fucking sucked. They can't even sing anymore. But I went because they're on stage and it's a marquee thing. And I always wanted to, you know, see, so there's exactly. So it's, it's a, it's a bizarre discussion, but it's something that weighed heavily on my mind with one, two punch, (laughs) no pun intended with Evander Holyfield. And then seeing these pictures of Harrison Ford on, on set for this new indie clusterfuck. So, um, I don't know, just something to think about out there. All right. Well, uh, any last, last subject of the week? Cause we got to start moving towards wrapping this up jason yeah no we've already we've already done over an hour broadway that's right listen we called it all in the ring so i'm very proud of this but hey i just want to end on the cracker jack prize that is our wrestling topic that uh, james and i recently attended the uh, lexington comic con and uh they had not had it last year because of the the wonderful cotton candy exchange that we all were part of and this year it was a very good event and it was they all masked and all it was done as well as it could be. Let's put it that way as far as the, the pandemic uh, goes. 
But uh, we went in there, and of course, James just likes to go once once a year for me to buy him extremely expensive fucking toys. So that's that seems to be what what his big draw is to go to this thing. But we did decide to walk around the autograph um, section of the con, where you can go and see celebrities of all different fields. Usually, they're B Z celebrities from films of yesteryear, uh, and they're or they're professional athletes mostly wrestlers professional wrestlers because they fit into that fanboy uh kind of uh niche so well horror also has a uh, a niche that has a lot of a lot of people that make the make the con circuit because it's it i think i find the horror community and the wrestling community very similar as far as fandom goes they will follow someone they they love like their entire and i think i think that's a you know that loyalty is admirable but continue well absolutely but the thing is we walk through and um I was surprised by how many damn wrestlers were there. And and I wasn't going to stand in line and get an autograph with any of them or get my picture taken or, or anything like that. I just was, it was uh, astonishing to me how many wrestlers I saw. I was like, well, this is like a legend. This is a legend. This is somebody I fucking know. And you're right there. And I throw, throw some names out. Man. I'm, I'm getting ready to buddy. I didn't have to stand in line. Because there were no fucking lines, okay? And it just looked mm, sad. Once again, it looked like caged animals that they brought out for the fair for you to see, like this exotic lion that used to be able to roar and now is emaciated and close to death. Uh, and let me tell you some of the people that, that I saw just walking this fucking huge, you know, conference room. Um, Lex Luger was there. Scott Steiner was there. Uh, Sergeant Slaughter, the legendary and great enforcer Arn Anderson, Darby Allen. Uh, they were they were all there. And uh, my my takeaway was the following because obviously Dave and I are humongous fucking marks for all of this. I just didn't know how tiny old and disabled Lex Luger really fucking was. Uh, Lex Luger looked like he weighed maybe 120 pounds. He was in a wheelchair and it looked like, I don't know if you ever watched Batman Beyond, but one of the episodes, they show Bane in the future on an island, okay? And he's like in a rest home type facility. And he this is what he looked like. He was in a wheelchair, hooked up to tubes and near death at about 100 pounds because of, you know, different various substances, venom, steroids, HGH, whatever, you know, Triple H is taking, uh, has put him in that wheelchair. That's what Lex Luger looked like. Now, he seemed extremely happy to see people, and a few people were actually, I think, getting some autographs from him and shaking his hand. But I was just, I couldn't believe that this was like the epitome of, you know, physicality in professional wrestling at one point in time. He had one of the greatest physiques and uh, one of the greatest, you know, just physical demeanors that you could have out there in pro wrestling. That was sort of what he was known for was his body. He's a body guy. Um Sergeant? Sort of. That was what he was known for. His nickname was the Total Package. That's because he was... yeah. I mean, I'm trying to be nice about it, but yeah, he they, sir, didn't wrestle very well. The promos sucked, but goddamn, did he look good? Um, and then Sergeant Slaughter. Nobody was in line for him. Nobody, and it was a crowded, packed, you know, thing. Uh, 
wanted to thank him for his service. Then I realized he never served. Then we went over to uh, Arn Anderson, walked by him. Arn had, I think, some people with him, some handlers, and he seemed uh, grumpy and not wanting to be even dealt with. I don't know why he was there, but really cool to see the enforcer. Uh, walked by, Darby Allen was there. Now, Darby Allen just had a humongous fucking match, okay? Nobody he there. He might have been sent there by AEW. Maybe. Yeah, nobody there. Nobody's standing in line. Nobody for Darby Allen. I'm sure it would have been different if CM Punk was next to him. Oh, now we're Jesus, now yes. now we're walking through, and the part I thought you might get a big fucking kick out of, Dave, was there was a humongous fucking line in the corner of of this, you know, big, big, huge Comic Con convention center thing. And I'm like, what the fuck? Who is everybody waiting for over here? I mean, what what's what's going on? You want to know who they were waiting for? They were waiting for the one and only sting yes that's right sting can still fucking pack him in so he's over there signing and you would have thought god had come down to earth to do signings or elvis presley was going to tell everyone where he had been all these years sting is still a motherfucking draw of biblical proportions he's been the master of reinventing himself constantly throughout his career and i just i have to speak for joe baca and me right now i don't get it I don't understand. I was never a fucking mark for this man, and I have no idea how people freak the fuck out. I'm not saying he's bad. I'm not. I just, whatever magic this man has over people, it just, it never hit me. I don't know. But to, to be in a room where Arn Anderson is right there, and Darby Allen is right there, and no one's in line for these two motherfuckers, but Sting has completely cornered the market on autographs here it's just still fascinating how much like when i when i see him at aew i just kind of think oh that's cute they're giving him some work i have no idea that yes he really does matter and probably makes a lot of people switch to that channel to watch that show so i just my my unbelievable respect to sting because I don't fucking get it, but I, that was a story I wanted you to have that that man can still pack him in anywhere, whether it's a wrestling arena or a fucking autograph signing at the Lexington Comic Con. I think Sting should play Indiana Jones. Oh, Jesus Christ. Well, it might be better. I don't know, honestly. Uh, final time for the email, Jason, then we'll get out of here. Yes, if you have anything that you would like to comment, question, concerns, anything that you want to contact us with, please contact us at the following email address, askdaveandjason at protonmail.com. Because, well, God damn it, as Commander Cody would say, protons. And uh, that's our show. Any final, any final comments, Vanilla Godzilla? Well, and then we are out. Uh, yeah, I really just have to come out of the closet. Let's just say that. Yeah, there's that. Yeah. All right. Uh, I thought there was more coming. <laughs> no, I just I was like, oh, absolutely right. need to come out of the closet. It's it's getting uh, really cramped, and I want to be my true self. All right. Well, that's fair. Well, uh, for the dozens and dozens of listeners out there, my partner is Jason Bailey. And my partner over there is the great David Beaudry. And job guys on YouTube. Sorry, I had to just once. And we are one day closer to dead, but that day is not and hopefully will not be today because it is still the morning in our time. But we will be back next week. <laughs> <laughs>